You're listening to the Oil and Gas This Week podcast with Mark LaCour and Jake Corley. This is the show for busy oil pros who quickly want to keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Welcome back to another episode of Oil and Gas This Week. You're listening to episode 119. What's up, Mark? Uh, what's up, Jake? Is we have been so freaking busy, but we managed to get an episode out on time this time, which is good. <laughs> you know, we had, in, in case you wonder why Jake and I took a hiatus, we really didn't. We had some technical issues with our hosting provider for the podcast. Took a while to get it fixed. We got it fixed, and now we're back and we're in the running. And speaking of in the running, if you would like to listen to Jake and us 24 hours a day, seven days a week, we have our own radio station. Jake could throw a link in the show notes. It's really easy. Just click on it, and uh, we just rock and roll your day. Who would want to listen to us 24-7? Everybody should listen to us 24-7. <laughs> Speaking of everybody, let's talk a little about our on-the-road sponsors. They make our travel possible. We have a Total Land, the world's most advanced field land management system, literally the Landman's virtual office. Check them out if you're in that world. A great group of people out there in Lafayette, Louisiana. And then Lee Heck Harrison, global experts in talent management. Uh, they currently support over 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies. So if you're dealing with leadership and workforce transformation, reach out to Lee Heck Harrison. And then if you would like Jake to come speak to your trade association, your company event, your conference, schools, sales and marketing meetings, or any of that sort of stuff, reach out to Jake or I. We'll be happy to share the details. How many more speaking gigs we got lined up next semester? That's uh, a lot have, now. We, so we have, I think we have eight lined up, eight university speaking gigs for the fall. And if you're a university out there, if you're an association like SPE or, or whatever in a university, we actually cut a very special deal, basically give you 50% off because we love our, our nation's young people. And if you have trouble finding that money internally in the school, we actually help you find a sponsor. <laughs> so we make it very easy for you to get Jake and I out to come speak to your school. And we love doing that. Super excited about next semester. It's gonna be a lot of fun. So what kind of news we got going on, Jake? All right. So first up, the Trump administration has provided details for its aggressive plan to roll back uh, environmental regulations. We've been talking about this for a while, and they've already been talking about some of the the deregulation that the Obama administration had put into place. Um, I guess this time they're kind of just outlining more of a clear plan um, with a little bit more clear deadlines and guidance on exactly what, what they're looking to do. So what are they looking to do? So the EPA is planning to repeal the Clean Power Plan, which was apparently limiting carbon dioxide output from power plants on the grounds that it exceeds statutory authority. Uh, it's also going to repeal former President Obama's clean water rule. It's making it's it's planning to make final delays to a handful of regulations that it plans to revise or repeal. So standards for water pollution from Power plants, methane pollution limits for landfills, and methane limits for oil and gas drilling. The administration said it plans to publish formal proposals this month to repeal two conscientious Obama rules, one regulating hydraulic fracturing on federal land and one regarding methane emissions from oil and gas drilling on federal land. Yeah, and so a couple of these things I want to talk about because I've seen a, I've had a, a, quite a few people talk to me about this, and I've seen a lot of stuff on social media. This isn't hurting the environment, people. So let's let's take a couple of these. Let's take the methane uh, emissions. So methane is a large component of natural gas, and so companies that produce natural gas, if they let that natural gas leak out, they lose profits, right? So the market itself prevents methane leaks. We don't need a law because somebody that's producing gas doesn't want to lose their profits. So they do everything they can to keep from that, uh, letting that stuff vent to the atmosphere because it's a loss of revenue to them. And then the other thing is they talk about um, endangered species. And let me tell you what's happened, Jake, in the last, last five years. So the anti-oil and gas groups up there have figured out rather quickly 
because of the way the laws are written, that if you can find some species and you can get some biologist to write a paper, it doesn't have to, or a study saying that this species is endangered and is being threatened by whatever works going on, the, um, the Federal Life and Fisheries has X amount of time, I can't remember what the time is, to respond to that. If they don't, then it automatically gets put on the agenda uh, to actually be, be turned into a law. So the anti-oil and gas groups have learned how to use this to their advantage where they overwhelm the, the Federal Department of Wildlife Fisheries so that they get these endangered species listed so then people can't do things like build roads and stuff. And that's just a misuse of, of our legislative or our, our lawmaking system with as far as in, uh, in the Endangered Species Act. That Endangered Species Act was put there for several things, right? It was put there to protect and help nurture wildlife that is on the brink of extinction. So something a lot of people don't know, uh, the bald eagle used to be on this list, right? They almost disappeared. Well, you know what? We brought it back. It's no longer on the endangered species list. The Florida manatee, right? They were on endangered species list. They're now a healthy population. They've been taken off. So now that was done not by the federal government, but it was done by private organizations that have an interest in those species working with the laws. So when you start misusing laws because you have a different agenda than to protect the species, where you're basically trying to shut down somebody from doing oil and gas exploration or, or production, that's the wrong way to, to deal with it. So this was a good, really good thing for, for, for the Trump administration to repeal because now you're going to let business regulate things that make sense. And at the same time, it's going to free up instead of the, the wildlife fisheries having to f- slog through all this papers being shoved down their throat. They actually get to do what they're paid to do, which is actually protect the wildlife in this country. So, um, you know, good stuff here. It needed to happen. Uh, we talked about this when the uh, Trump was, uh, before he was elected, that this was on his agenda. And we actually were very supportive of this, and we hoped that he pulled it off. And so he did. So this is pretty awesome. All right, on to the next one. I'm not sure if you saw this on Facebook, or well, considering this is what we're going to be talking about, is Mark Zuckerberg has been making a, what seems like a, it seems like he's touring around to to run for president. That's what a lot of the speculation has been. He's going to all 50 states this year to learn more about the local economies and communities. Um, so on his little nationwide tour, he toured a uh, drilling rig in North Dakota on Tuesday and just had a lot, a lot of questions about automation and safety and fracking uh, and apparently did some little town halls there in North Dakota where politicians were not allowed to attend. Um, so it was just him and the people and just an opportunity for him to actually learn more about the economy there. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, I don't know if you remember this, but a while back on Facebook, he actually went offshore in the Gulf of Mexico. So so what I like about this is that uh, if you don't know who Zuckerberg is, he's the founder of Facebook. Um, he is a climate change proponent. So he believes that man's activity has negatively influenced the climate. Um, he is very much a renewable energy supporter. And at some point in the past, it was a bit of an anti-oil and gas guy. What I love about this is instead of listening to what other people are telling him or what he reads on his own social, it's kind of cool, it's his own social network. He's going out and learning, learning from the, the feet on the street, and, and he's starting to change his opinion, right? He's starting to understand that this is the oil and gas industry brings prosperity to the rest of the world. He's understanding that, you know, 60% of the world is fed with fertilizer made from natural gas. You can't just replace that overnight. So I just think it's really cool that he's digging into the reality of this and that he's open enough to actually say, you know what? I was wrong about this. I've changed my mind. And, I, you know, he's plugged hip deep into technology. And how cool is it that the CEO of Facebook's actually going out and talking to rig operators about automation and about, you know, driving safety and all that other stuff. Um, so I, I just think this is, this is really cool. And then the fact that he had that town hall and no politicians were allowed, 
That's awesome, Jake. That means they actually got to talk about real stuff without a political agenda, either an apparent or a hidden political agenda. So I think this is awesome that he's doing this. I hope he keeps doing it some more. Do I think he's thinking about making a, a run for a president? I, actually, I really do. I think I agree with you. But you know who else I think is going to make a run for president? You're going to say I'm crazy? The Rock. <laughs> Dwayne Johnson. Well, I think he officially uh, he like filed something that said he was officially running. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. uh, it started off as a joke on SNL, and now I don't know if it's just a publicity stunt or if he's actually going to go through with it. But I, I, you know, as as crazy as our last election was, I would I would be I would look hard at voting for for the Rock. Right. I mean, I, you know, I, I like the guy. I don't know him, but um, and if I remember right, his political views tend to be moderate, which I think is what this country really needs. And he, Lord knows he knows how to run a business. And you know what else, Jake? Hmm. Dude works out. Duck, dude pumps some iron. Anybody that pumps iron can <laughs> make a good president in my book. Man, they'd be the most swole president we ever had. It'd be awesome, yeah. <laughs> All right, up next. So a $2 billion fund called Intervest, which many of you are pretty familiar with, um, that invested in oil and gas wells has essentially gone bust. So major pensions and other investors could be left with just pennies on the dollar at best. Why this is so unusual is because it's the largest loss or one of the larger losses in for private equity firms, especially in in oil and gas, and so that's a lot of money, Jake. Two billion dollars to disappear. That's a lot of money for it just to completely you know vanish. And so the the CEO John Walker of Intervest was quoted saying, "We are not proud of the results." Well, I would think not. And, and you know what the problem is here? Uh, it's it's the same thing with not just with the fund, but also with a lot of these other oil and gas companies. Is they were just way too over leveraged. You know, they took yeah. they took on way too much debt, and as soon as the the price of oil dropped from 120 to all the way down to 26, you've got Wells Fargo hitting them up saying, "We need repayment on our debt immediately," and Intervest couldn't pay it. You know, right. along with all the other other companies. So you would think that over time, this is a cyclical injury, industry. You would think over time that they would learn from their mistakes. It's the same mistake over and over and over again. You know, and, and you know what's a little bit different about this time. So that if you look at this last boomer bust cycle, we had a lot of Wall Street money in in our industry, which is not common. And what happens is, so you have people that know how to invest, but they don't understand the oil and gas industry, and they're making investments in oil and gas. So I've seen a whole bunch of this, and you have too, Jake, where where co- companies that don't know the industry invest, and they they end up losing their shirt or going out of business or both. At the same time, there were companies out there that know the industry that know to hold hold on to their cash and wait for everything to crash so you get pick up stuff for pennies on dollars and they made a ton of money for their investors. So, you know, it, it it just goes back that if you're if you're investing in stuff, you need to know that industry and if you don't, you need to have people on your staff that knows the industry and it keeps you from doing silly stuff like this cuz Jake, they were buying stuff left and right when oil was $140 a barrel. That was crazy. Yeah. Well, you should be buying stuff left and right when when oil was twenty six dollars a barrel. Yeah. But I'm also a yeah. contrarian to to most people's investing beliefs. <laughs> I think you make you make the most money when there's blood in the streets. There's the, there's the most potential. That's for darn sure when there's blood in the streets. It's just it's um you, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah. All right. So good job, Intervest. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. On to the next one. Uh, the IEA is stating that the United States is on track to have the capacity to become the world's second largest exporter of LNG by the end of 2022, just behind Australia and just ahead of Qatar. 
Yeah, so the IEA is International Energy Agency. They track all the data, or they try to, all the data on, on all the energy in the world, right? What's being used, what's being generated, how's it being generated, what's that mix look like? And and this, they're right on track. So we've talked about this for years, how the U.S. has become a huge LNG exporter. And I actually think we're eventually become number one. Um, LNG is the fuel of the future. And yes, people, I know that prices are suppressed right now. Just give it a little bit of time. Um it's the entire world is moving over to LNG. And you can you can kind of back up my hypothesis by look what Shell did. Shell bought BG. They basically turned themselves into a natural gas company. Exxon's the, Mobil's done the same thing because they know that's the fuel of the future. Very environmentally responsible, uh, very clean for the environment, very cost effective. Um, it's a great fuel to generate, to, uh, to generate electricity from. And the cool thing is, Jake, is that when you compress it down to a liquid, and there's different ways of doing it, but LNG is one of the methods that you can do it. Now you can transport it. And so they put it in these huge super tankers. So they literally can move it from one side of the world to the other for pennies. Um, and they've gotten really good at preserving that LNG so they don't lose as much of it on the trip. So this is the, the, the literally the next fuel of the future. Now, the interesting thing is they talk about Australia. And you have the Chevron project out there, um, which I know went way over budget. It's a whole Gorgon project. Um, but Chevron, in combination with Australia, has now set themselves up to capture all of that uh, Asia Pacific market who has a big hunger for, for, for LNG. So they, they, the, both the country and the, and the company Chevron, uh, got ahead of everything. So now, uh, what's happened is we're starting to play catch up. The other thing they don't talk about in this article that's really cool is we have started, uh, exporting LNG to Europe, Jake. You know what that means? That means we're competing with Russia. Russia right now pipes gas and gas pipelines from from Russia to Europe to supply their needs. Well, now we can compete with them. Um, that puts things in a little bit geo, a little bit different geopolitical arena when we can start co- uh, competing with Russia because now Europe has a choice, whereas before Russia had a monopoly. I think that's going to help uh, both Russia and the U.S. come to the negotiation table. These sanctions need to be lifted. Um, and, and, and yes, I know that Russia invaded Croatia and they shouldn't have done it. I agree with that 100%. But what we don't want happening globally is for Russia to start becoming buddies with OPEC, which they brokered this last price-fixing deal. So we don't want that to happen. We want Russia to be buddies with us, at least from an oil and gas export type of, of business. That will further help destabilize OPEC, which then means the free market has more control over prices, which benefits us as consumers and benefits the suppliers as well because it's not artificial constraints in the system. So we'll see what happens. It's um, Qatar is an interesting uh, piece they threw in here because that's a very small, small, tiny country that exports a whole bunch of LNG. And, and the nice thing about this too, if I didn't mention this, is every place that buys LNG his, historically means they're replacing coal with LNG, which then helps this world be cleaner, better place. When you switch from coal to LNG, automatically you drop emissions by 60%. So this is all good stuff. And, and, and we're going to pay attention to this because I really think that probably by 2030, we'll be number one. Yeah, that'll be nice. Yep. Something to look forward to. So the next article is from Houston Chronicle. Uh, it's titled, uh, Whatever Oil and Gas Companies Are Doing to Recruit Women, It's Not Working. So I don't know if you follow, I, obviously I follow Silicon Valley probably a little closer than you do, Mark, but I don't know if you've seen that a lot of these companies, Facebook, Google, Apple, so on and so forth, they're getting just a really bad rap for 
not putting as much focus and his attention on uh, hiring women and paying them equally. Um, and yeah, I've like, seen that lately. I've seen that a good bit. And it's funny because they all have programs to keep, try to keep that from happening. And some of the stuff I've read, at least on, on social media, is that the programs um, are there for looks, not actually try to make a difference. And, and I don't know if it's true or not because I don't, I don't run in that world. And then apparently sexual harassment is running just completely rampant uh, in Silicon Valley. There was a huge scandal between couple a couple of the the partners at some of the Silicon Valley venture capital firms and didn't it, didn't Elon Musk have a, something that came up from their past too I wouldn't doubt it yeah I, w- I wouldn't doubt it to be honest and even even people like Chris Saka who was you know if you watch Shark Tank he was kind of like a guest shark occasionally um, you know billionaire investor invested in Facebook and Uber and a lot of that stuff early on um, you know he even released a blog post saying that you know hey I admit that perhaps I have not been the most friendly to women, you know, over the course of, you know, my career and that it, this is a problem and that we need to like work towards that. So, um, so shifting our focus from Silicon Valley back to oil. So there's a huge gender gap, um, in oil and gas where women right now only make up 14.5% of the entire workforce. Yeah. So let me tell you what's interesting about this. I've read the whole article. Um, this uh, article actually appeared in the Houston Cron, Houston Chronicle, by the way. Um, and so there's a couple of bits of data they left off in here. So so they're right that it's um, less than 15% of the current workforce. But of the new hires, it's 60%. 60% of new hires in our industry are women. Um, and so, you know, I'm predicting that somewhere in the future, men will actually be the minority in our industry if this trend continues. And it's interesting they didn't bring that point up. The other thing is there um, a lot of the data that they're talking about comes from a consulting company called a BCG. And to me, it's this is almost somewhat a kind of a hint that if you're in oil and gas, that you need to hire BCG to help you figure out how to you know hire and promote and advance and retain more women, which I don't and, and nothing against a BCG. I don't know them. I don't know the consulting company, but of the oil and gas companies I know here in the U.S. and in Europe, they do. I think they do a really good job of. Uh, promoting, uh, hiring, retaining women. And, um, you know, in the past, it wasn't that way. When I got my start 20 years ago, quite honestly, almost all the women in our industry were, were admins, were secretaries. Now, and, and I, I can tell you this from working with our clients, now the companies out there like like Bulwark um, and Red Wing both, you know, they're having to cut clothing, FR clothing and boots to fit women because there's so many women in our industry. And, and if the FR clothing doesn't fit right, then it doesn't work well. So um, this article, I think, is a bit biased. Our, as an industry, I think we've done really good work on overcoming that. There's now women engineers. I mean, Jake, think we went to Tulane. When we spoke at Tulane, over half that audience were women. And these were all energy masters, right? So I, I, I think as an industry here and in Europe, we've, we've got a handle on this. And, and I think we're doing a really good job it was interesting for me to watch. I'm not going to say what super major, but it was one of the biggest ones, if not the biggest one. Literally, uh, in the 90s, could not hire enough male engineers. And um, so they had to hire, they had no choice but hire female engineers. And literally overnight, they go, damn, the female engineers are just as good as the men, if not better. So that whole bias that they had all those decades before just went away overnight. And, and now they hire female engineers left and right. So good article. I mean, th- there's some truth here, um, you know, and, and there's, there's, there's never an excuse for any type of gender bias. I think we've gotten a handle on it in our industry, and I think every year it gets better and better. All right, up next, uh, Mexico's oil and gas reform gains momentum. I'm sure you know a lot more about this topic than I do. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> any thoughts? Um, so <laughs> Mexico has, has an issue, and, and the basic issue is 
um, because the country also owned the oil company and it was full of corruption inefficiencies, which is Pemex. Um, they let themselves get to a point where even though they have a ton of assets, so they have a ton of oil and gas in the ground, they can't get it out. And so they're they're trying to bring their population out of, I don't want to say poverty, but out of the, the rural type of agricultural type of society. In order to do that, you have to have, the one thing you have to have is cheap, abundant energy. And so they're trying to increase the amount of electricity they produce so they can have cheap, abundant energy for their population and modernize their population. And they can't do it even though they have the assets in the ground. So the way that the laws are written in Mexico is that the companies that Pemex needed to come work with, the Slumberjays and the Baker Hughes and the Halliburton's the service companies, they really couldn't do it well because nobody could touch the oil except Pemex. And so um, uh, there was a lot of years of, of just struggle because the, the people in Mexico take pride on the fact that they own Pemex. Um, and Pemex is the overwhelming, I mean, it owns everything. It owns the assets in the ground, but people don't. It owns the, um, the exploration production equipment. It owns the pipelines. It owns the refiners. It even owns the gas stations. In fact, the funny thing is the people in Mexico are so loyal to the brand Pemex that Jake, they opened, Pemex opened a gas station, a retail gas station here in Houston because there's so many people that moved here from Mexico that they know they'll go buy the gas from that gas station though it's a little bit more expensive. The funny thing is the gasoline's actually coming from the BP refinery, not from a Pemex refinery, but it's a great, great, uh, lesson in marketing around brand awareness. So anyway, so for years, the, the, the politicians didn't want to, nor could they change anything to help Pemex actually become more modernized. And so their last president, uh, uh, Natito, I think is his name, Pina Natito, um, actually changed the constitution, which I could not believe he pulled it off because the Mexican people were convinced that he was trying to sell Pemex to the Americans, to the gringos, which wasn't true. He actually got the uh, laws changed, which now allows the American European service companies come in and a partner and they just had a couple rounds of, of offshore um, auctions that actually did really well. Now the thing they're still struggling with quite honestly is corruption, both corruption internally inside of Pemex with its officers and, and leaders in the country and then outside where people think it's totally acceptable to drill a hole in a pipeline and steal gasoline, which is crazy. I mean, nobody would do that here, but it happens all the time. There's an estimate that almost 20% of the gasoline that Pemex produces gets stolen before it even hits the gas stations. So th there's still some stuff that needs to be changed. They're moving the needle, which I actually am very proud of them. Um, and this only is going to help help move parts of what Pemex does to more privatized type of arrangement, which then will spur other companies to make money, which will provide jobs for the people in Mexico. And at the same time, lower their energy costs so they can bring their, their people out of, out of um, poverty and bring their entire country up to more modern standards. And then the cool thing, we talked about this earlier, because they're predominantly producing electricity now with gas, they're include they're uh, decreasing their pollutions. If anybody's actually went to Mexico City in the last ten years, in the middle of the day, you can't breathe the pollution so bad. Um, and they're they're working to get rid of that. So I just think this is all good. It's good for the Mexican people. Didn't think it would happen. I, I would have called this one wrong, but they actually changed the laws and things are moving in the right way. Good job, Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, Talos Energy was mentioned in this uh, in this article, and they actually well they had a, like a press release that I saw that I came across earlier in the week. Um, they have a well a well that they drilled called I think it's Zama. I think it's how you pronounce it, Zama One, which is the first offshore exploration well that has been drilled in Mexican waters by the private sector. Yeah, think how cool that is. So here's non-Pemex employees, right? Non-Pemex company going out and drilling because they can now. They can they can take that risk and try to make some money, which they need people, right? So they hire people. They hire Mexicans. They they don't truck in their own people. It's, that's cost prohibitive. So this is just all cool stuff. All right. And last one for the day. 
Uh, Lionel Basil gives final green light to one point or two point four billion dollar chemical plant in Houston. Um, so they announced July twenty first. It made the final investment decision to build the world's largest propylene oxide and tertiary butyl alcohol plant in the Houston area. Hopefully, I did not butcher that. Good job, Jake. You got those right, man. <laughs> All right. So the two point four billion dollar project will be the single largest capital investment in the company's history, and is expected to create up to twenty five hundred dollar jobs at the peak of construction and about one hundred and sixty permanent jobs. Yeah. So Jake said twenty five um, hundred dollar jobs. No, it's not twenty five hundred dollars. It's twenty five hundred jobs. Keep going, Jake. Wait, wait, did I say wait? Did I say dollars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, so front-end engineering design work is complete and site preparation is underway. Uh, construction is expected to begin during the first half of 2018 and wrap up by the middle of 2021. I've always just got money in my mind, you know? <laughs> so I throw <laughs> dollars in after everything. Nothing wrong with that. So so there's a bigger story here. Now, you've, if you've listened to the show, you've heard me talk about how petrochemicals are on fire and they'll continue to be on fire. And this is a perfect example of it. A lot of money you made here. What they also... Don't talk about too much here. I don't think is this is this is just a piece of a five billion dollar investment Lionel Basil's making in building petrochemical plants in the U.S. Gulf Coast. So this is all jobs here in our backyard, Jake. And they've already built a seven hundred million dollar um, um, uh, polyethylene plant in Laporte. So um, Lionel Basil sees the opportunity here, and basically what's going on is the raw feedstock, which is crude natural gas, is dirt cheap, and it's going to be dirt cheap for a long time. If you build your plant in the Gulf Coast where you have access to deep water ports, you can then take your products that you're making and export them cheaply to the rest of the world who can't manufacture them as effectively we can and make lots of money. And that making lots of money drives jobs uh, for the people in the Gulf Coast area. So this is all cool stuff, and you can see way more of this. Um, you know, it's, it, Petrochemicals are huge. They'll continue to be huge. You know, here in the U.S., we use less and less oil and gas for fuel, but we use more of it to make stuff. And if you ever really want to have some fun, just Google products made from oil and gas. It's literally everything that drives our modern world. I mean, literally, there's nothing you can touch in our modern world that doesn't have some component from the oil and gas industry. And that's a good thing, right? Hydrocarbons are a great resource for the human species. Um, we've learned how to use them environmentally responsibly. Um, it, it, like I said, drives prosperity. Um, and this is just, just a cool job. Now, Lino Basel is um, investing heavily in this, but their competition, so Dow, DuPont, you know, uh, even companies like Sass Oil and Williams, the pipeline company, they all see the same thing. So they're all building these petrochemical plants all over the place. Uh, ConocoPhillips has a huge expansion going on right when you come to Houston um, from I-10 coming east, like so coming from Louisiana. And I have never in my entire life seen so much scaffolding, just scaffolding in one place. I keep meaning to stop and take a picture, but, you know, it's probably several several million dollars of just scaffolding stood up, you know, because ConocoPhillips knows that the quicker they get this thing built, the quicker they go to market, the more money they make. So petrochemicals are hot. We called this uh, before the downturn happened and it's uh, continuing to grow. So it's great stuff. Hats off line of Basel for investing money here in our backyard. And that about wraps up the stories for this week. So not quite as much going on in the world as normal, but Hey, hopefully you enjoyed it. So Mark, we got a winner for this week. Yep. Congratulations, J.C. Hickman with United Energy Group. He's an account manager. You have won this week's awesome Red Wing Offshore Bag. If you would like to be like J.C. and win one of these highly sought-after bags, it's really simple. All you do is go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Throw your information in there. We draw one lucky winner a week. Well, we don't. Red Wing does. Easy, easy thing to do. No purchase necessary. See official site for rules and details. So the U.S. rig count is stagnant and has been for the last two to three weeks. Uh, we're still sitting at 1,024. Not necessarily a bad thing, um, but also not super fantastic either. 
it's 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 to be expected, right? What we don't yeah. want is a rapid rise that's uh, in artificial inflation because then it's gonna, it's gonna be a, it's gonna have to adjust again. So slow, steady growth and rig counts the best thing, and I'm okay with it staying stable for a month or two. You know, that's that's part yeah. of the natural you know life cycle. What I don't want to do is start seeing it go backwards. Yeah. Yeah, and speaking of that, we um, hats off to Drilling Info. That's where we actually get that data from. Is uh, Drilling Info has a, a place just for the actual rig counts. Jacob put a link in the show notes so you can go check it out yourself. And then it's time for events on deck. We got a couple of things coming up. This is a really cool one. How about bunkering week? Bunkering week? What is that? <laughs> that sounds like something bad in the Marine Corps. Yeah, <laughs> that just sounds like that sounds like an awful week. Wedge right in between um, Hell Week and Starvation Week. <laughs> So this is all about this is all about um, shipping products by marine, right? So this is bunkering week. It's in a, it's in a Singapore. Um, this is a great event if you're if you're in that world, you know, moving fuel oil, LNG, whatever. This is a great event for you to go check out what's new in the technology because there's a lot of new technologies in, in the marine world. Um, so we got bunker week going on, and then uh, we also have the SP workshop, um, effective and efficient development at fractured carbonite reservoirs. <laughs> so if you're like super deep as far as petroleum engineer and you know what a carbonite reservoir is, which I actually don't, but I think it's over half of the proven uh, oil reserves are carbonite re- reservoirs. Here's a whole workshop on how to understand those rock formations, understand the theory, the flow dynamics, all that sort of stuff. So go check this out. This one's, um, this was actually here in, this was actually in China, I believe. So uh, if you're going to the bunkering workshop in Singapore, then you can go step right over to China and go to the, <laughs> the Carbonite Reservoir workshop as well. Um, but if you're interested in what's going on as far as events, it's really simple. I have an email newsletter. It goes out once a month. We put it in your inbox for free. Go sign up. Jacob put a link in the show notes. It's very useful, very valuable. Uh, people tend to love it. Um, and like I said, we, we did it because we couldn't find everything in one place ourselves. So we decided to do it and we give it away for free. So uh, last episode, we did our first Friday Q&A, so it's going to be probably another two or three weeks before we do another one. So if you have a question, there's a link in the show notes. Feel free to ask. You guys drive that show. Uh, We're just here to answer the questions. Uh, If you like this podcast, perhaps you'll like two of the other podcasts that are part of the OGGN family. We've got the Oil & Gas HS&E and the Oil & Gas Industry Leaders. Both are fantastic podcasts. We have links to both of those uh, also in the show notes. Hey, hey, Jake, let me stop you. Do you know what people win on oil and gas industry leaders? I think it's like a $200 steak dinner or something. Paige is giving away $200 steak dinner. Somehow we got ripped off on that one, but she's doing a great job. She's kicking butt and taking names. Um, if you want a chance to go win a $200 steak dinner, go check out her podcast. And then if you'd like to get some of your senior leadership exposed, right, because that's what she does. She, she interviews senior leadership in oil and gas. Reach out to her. Go to her website, oilandgasindustryleaders.com. Reach out and say, hey, I'd like to get my CEO and my president on your show. Um, she'll have a quick conversation with you, and she'll probably say yes, and this gets you some exposure for your company for free. That ain't bad. Nope. And then if you like our show, go check out, you know, we have a website as well. It's uh, oilandgasthisweek.com. It's where you can ask a question. Uh, we're going to p- start posting some content pretty soon. Uh, if you like any of the shows and you haven't joined the LinkedIn group, go check it out. It's Oil and Gas Global Network. It's kind of the companion to this show, the other two shows, and all our future shows. And then if you really, really want to do us a favor, leave us a review. Um, we did not, I didn't actually pull the, the data for if we got any reviews. So we'll do that for our next show. We'll pull the, pull our reviews, but please, please, please. If you like the show, leave us a review. We're going to start trying to read them off, uh, try to remember to read them off in every show. And then Jake and I talked about this. I think we're going to put together some type of contest where we could take the people that leave us reviews, throw their names in a hat and pull a winner. And then we're going to give something kind of cool away. Um, you know, probably once a week. Other than that, Jake, is there anything else we need to talk about? That's about it, man.
All right, folks, so do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Tune in next week for another informative and entertaining episode of Oil & Gas This Week podcast, a product of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasthisweek.com.